Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're really happy to be with you, as always. We are indeed. We are recording this in the midst of the Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big like sports fan. Like I, I don't have to tune in to what's going on with football or baseball or basketball. Right. I kind of like it when, you know, the Super Bowl comes around. Um, and by the time you're listening to this podcast, probably know who won the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. Um, but we're recording this before the Super Bowl happened. But anyway, I am a big fan of the Olympics. And I love when the Olympics come around. And this is the first time in, in history, because of the whole COVID thing, that we went from watching the Summer Olympics right. just last summer to this winter watching the Winter Olympics. Well, not really in history, but since they separated them by oh, right, two years. Right, correct. it did used to That's be right. that way. That's right. When That's we right, kids. Wendy. When we were kids, that Olympics, is correct. Summer and winter were all the same year. So erase that. Yeah, right. I just had a brain fart. I didn't <laughs> remember okay. that. It's okay. It came to me right though. Yeah, but that's a good memory. <laughs> I remember. In fact, I remember when they switched it, yeah. and I wondered why they did. Anyway, what I'm loving this go round is there's a brand new event, Ooh. which just has my name all over it. What is it? Big Air. <laughs> it's a ski jump. It's a new kind of ski jump. I mean, it's not new in terms of people doing it. People doing it, but it's new to the Olympics, uh-huh. where they they the skiers go like fifty miles an hour oh. and launch off this ginormous yeah. ramp, <laughs> snow mound, and fly something like sixty feet into the air and do tricks that you just can't even fathom if you haven't seen it uh-huh. and sometimes they go off the jump backwards yeah. and land backwards or sometimes they go off forwards and land backwards or sometimes they go off backwards and land forward and they're they're spinning like five or six times with flips and grabbing their skis and just seeing these people hover in the air for so long just thrills my heart i yeah. don't i I've, oh you know this about me wendy how, how would you explain this about your husband? What is oh, yeah. this? It is something that you love. He, you're a jumper, you're a flyer for sure. But I have to say, too, because I've watched the event with you some, it, I love that the happiness of the um, announcers, like they just get sort of yeah. thrilled by the tricks. And it seems to me that that the skiers have a freedom to choose at the at the last moment or whenever they want to what their trick is going to be right, so right. in many olympic sports you like i think of watching diving or figure skating the announcers seem to know exactly what right. all the tricks are they've all been planned and what they're going to do on this particular one yes yes the exact plan and, and in this uh big air jump they don't know so they're having this sort of thrill as they watch yeah. it that is kind of just a fun experience yeah I remember years ago when you first saw me taking big air on skis that you said, what did you say? <laughs> well, you're going to get hurt someday. <laughs> yeah, someday you're going to get hurt. Yeah. And and you did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if my listeners, our listeners. Yeah, that you broke your femur. I broke my femur. But, you know, this was so funny when we were in the funny. hospital. Oh, no, wait. I'm, this is a funny <laughs> thing. When we're in the hospital, um, you know, 
with your broken femur. Well, I broke my femur because I was taking big air true, true. on a ski jump, and your prophecy had come true. Well, that what is you? The Sorry. funny thing I was going to share is that whenever people, you know, a new person would come into your view as you're on the stretcher you know, a new caregiver, you would say, you should have seen the jump. <laughs> you kept like replaying the thrill of it in your mind. The and just... takeoff was awesome. <laughs> That's right. I was like 30 feet in the air. It's just the landing didn't go so landing well. landing was bad. Thank you, God, for all the uh, hardware in my leg that is holding me together. <laughs> I'm still able to do some ski jumps, but not, not like I used to. And I think that's why I, I'm kind of vicariously living the big air thrill by watching these crazy men and women do their big air jumps anyway Absolutely. enough about olympics let's uh let's move right along do you have any updates for us on the tob institute i do we have a lenten retreat a, tr a retreat to launch your lent coming up on february 26th bill dunahy and i will be leading this and we're going to be talking about the nakedness of Christ in the Stations of the Cross, and what that means, that Lent is a time of, of allowing superfluous things to be stripped away. Uh, if you want to start your Lent with, with a, a, a beautiful reflection on Christ's nakedness and what that means for our lives, check out the link below to learn more about our patron community, because this is a, a retreat exclusively for our patrons. If you're already a patron, you already have access to this retreat. If you'd like to become a patron, uh, check out the link below and you'll have access to that retreat to launch your Lent. Very good. And speaking of patrons, I have a question from a patron. Great. This is from Kurt. Hello, Kurt. Kurt says, I've enjoyed hearing your discussions on how to raise strong Catholic men. I have no children of my own, but I've been finding a lot of gaps in my ability to be a good leader and have found myself struggling in leadership positions. God has blessed me with many opportunities that have pushed me outside my comfort zone, especially in the areas of ministry. I found myself failing often in these positions, and I've realized that growing up, I didn't really learn how to be a strong Catholic man, even though I think I had good parents, and I had a conversion later on when I was older. I also read that being a good leader means being able to give the gift of yourself. I was often told that I was bad at or was incapable of giving the gift of myself. Mm. I recognize that I have a lot to learn, but what would you recommend for someone like me who's just learning later in life how to be a strong Catholic man that can give the gift of myself? What are some of the things I can do to heal from the things that were said to me that wounded me in the deepest desires of my heart to give myself as a gift? Wow, Kurt, uh, I, I'm hearing... Just as I hear that, like that, that really struck me that someone would tell you you're a, a bad gift or you don't know how to be a gift. I mean, that sounds to me like the enemy was after the jugular, like coming directly after your identity as a man. This, this is part and parcel of our deepest identity as, as human beings. It's men and women. We're all called to be a gift. But there's a particular way in which a man is called to be a gift, and the enemy is after that. He is directly after that. And, and I sense that there has been an attack, Kurt, against your deepest identity here. 
And, and I can speak to that as well. I, I know in my own life, those same kind of attacks against my identity, my sense of myself as, as a, a person and a male person made in the image of God. And, and if we could like flick the switch and see the spiritual warfare that goes on around our identity, we would see demons going in for the kill, and we would see angels, uh, the good angels, fighting those demons uh, to protect us, um, and also fighting for us when we have swallowed those hooks, we have swallowed those lies, we have been wounded. The angels are also fighting for us. So I'm sensing all of that, Kurt, that there is a lively battle going on for your identity. What can you do to heal? Well, speaking from experience, healing is a long journey. And we go one step at a time, and there's always more. But I'm, I'm reminded right now of something that has been a, a great help to me lately in my own journey and the stage of healing that, that I'm going through right now. It's a uh, presentation that Pope Francis gave to the Roman Curia last uh, right before last Christmas, December 23rd. But in there, Pope Francis is talking about the story in the Old Testament of Naaman, the, the warrior who had this brilliant armor. He had fought many, many battles, been very successful in battle, but underneath his armor, he suffered from leprosy. And he had to remove his armor to be healed, had to take the armor off, and descend into the Jordan seven times. And Pope Francis has some beautiful reflections about what this all means symbolically for our own healing journeys. All of us, uh, I mean, men and women, but let me speak primarily to the men here and speak as a man, which, by the way, I always do speak as a man. Indeed. Um, Men in particular, because of the, the kind of culture that we grow up in, we have this idea that we have to be strong, we have to have it together, we have to, you know, not show our weakness. So we end up putting on this, this armor that really masks what's going on underneath. Pope Francis says, if we don't have the courage to take our armor off and descend naked into the Jordan, so to speak, the healing waters of Christ's love, we will end up living off the glitter of our armor. We will end up living off of our exterior accomplishments, trying to make a name for ourselves with exterior works. And we see men doing this all the time. I've done this, chasing after titles, chasing after, you know, you know in my world, it's been uh, you know, best-selling Catholic author, or uh, how many people follow me or read my stuff. You know, you can you can use this as kind of uh, a mark of your identity or accomplishment, or finding your identity identity in your accomplishments. And it's a sham. It is a lie. This is not where we find our identity. Mm. Uh, we find our identity as sons of the Father sons in the Son. Jesus is our brother. Jesus is the only eternal Son of the Father. But we become sons in the Son, uh, and we become 
truly the men we are called to be in as much as we live from that identity as sons of the eternal Father. But that demands, just as it did for Jesus in the flesh, a descent into the waters of the Jordan. And we have to bathe there seven times. Right? There are a lot of men who have this shiny armor on the outside, but underneath they're 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 lepre- they're leprous, right? They're they're carrying a deep woundedness. And Pope Francis has this one line, it really spoke to me. He says, oftentimes men use their gifts as a mask for a deep weakness or even disease that's underneath. Mm. My brother, Kurt, be not afraid to take off whatever titles, accomplishments, anything where you might be looking to posit your identity there that is not, I am a son of the Father. Be willing to take that armor off and descend with Jesus into the Jordan. And what will you hear? What did Jesus hear descending into the Jordan? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That is the healing journey for every man. Every man has to hear those words of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And something else that struck me uh, reading this presentation from Pope Francis is that when he had to bathe seven times, that struck me. Well, seven is a significant number in the scriptures, right? It's the number of perfection. What does it mean? We have to bathe as many times as it takes to be fully healed. (laughs) And that means in this life, you got to get in the bath again and again and again, not seven times, 70 times, seven times. Keep going, keep going. There's always new bathing that needs to take place. And that that doesn't surprise the Lord. It surprises us in our pride. It surprises me in my pride. I think, oh my gosh, I've been dealing with, with this for so many years. Uh, can't I just put the virtue hat on now because I've been looking at this long enough? Uh-uh. <laughs> I got I to cleanse again. I got to cleanse again and again and again, descending with Jesus into the Jordan. It also struck me in that story about Naaman that when he came out of the water, it says his flesh was like a child. Mm. And it reminds me of Jesus saying, unless you turn and become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom. Kurt, your identity and your healing is to be found in in going back into those memories and becoming like a child. And what do I mean by that? Allowing yourself to feel the wound of somebody telling you you're not a good gift or you don't know how to make a good gift and feeling that like a child would feel it, like allowing yourself to feel that hurt. That's a that's an oucher. That's a that stings. That's a direct attack against your identity. And to unite that wound, feel it like a child, and unite it with Jesus Christ. Descend with Jesus into those waters 
allowing yourself to hear the words of the Father. You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That, that, I'm just trying to paint a picture for you using biblical images of what the journey is like, but each man has to go on it, right? And nobody can go on your journey for you, Kurt. Others can kind of pave the way or point the way or, or give you some, some pointers as to what it might look like. That's what I'm trying to do. But now, Kurt, you, you got to go on that journey. Uh, and, and part of that journey is going to be forgiving the people who spoke those lies to you. You are designed by God, Kurt, to be a gift, a good gift. And we say it at the ever, end of every podcast, you are this gift. You are this good gift. And we are called to become what we are. Mm. Uh, that's an expression of John Paul II, become what you are. And it's the acknowledgement that, okay, this is what we are, but we're not there yet, and we got to grow into it. we got to become what we are. Uh, that's the journey of becoming the man you're meant to be, Kurt. Keep going, brother. I think I see in Kurt asking you this question, a certain reaching out for another man to give some feedback. And I think that is a very good instinct. And I think you have just given to all of us, you know, just beautiful, wise words to take into our hearts and into our prayers and into our bones about our identity, who we are, and looking at the wounds. I think also, Kurt, anybody needs to reach out to others in their their life that are able to journey with them. And you have done that. You know, you have always worked alongside others who yes. are able to give you feedback and who've invited you and also to give them feedback and to be brothers on the journey of um, expressing the gift of your manhood in the, both in your family and your call to marriage and family, but in your wider ministry. So really pray that Kurt, that the Lord just allow him to shine a light on who is in your day-to-day -day life that can journey with you in this kind of important growth that, as you said, that's our journey. That's a great word, Wendy. It's, it's absolutely critical. We need, uh, speaking again as a man to men, we need spiritual fathers, uh, men who are, are often, generally speaking, older, and certainly wiser. Those are, the, those are the ones who can be spiritual fathers to us. And we also need spiritual brothers, mm -hmm. uh, peers who are walking alongside us. And the expression, iron sharpens iron, is true. It's true. And what I'm passing on to you about this story from Pope Francis and Naaman, I'm getting from my spiritual father, my spiritual director, know, knowing what I'm struggling with. Uh, he, he encouraged me to spend time with this uh, talk from Pope Francis, and it, it blessed me really mm. deeply. It just shone a bright light on some of my own struggles and ways I, I, I can hide behind uh, titles or accomplishments, and I'm afraid to have my weaknesses on display. Um, but that, that's the path of healing, brother. Keep going. And uh, I'll be lifting you up, Kurt, and I invite all the men listening and, and women to, to pray for Kurt that he would have spiritual, a spiritual a father or more, more than one, you know, spiritual fathers, uh, but also spiritual brothers to, to help him in the journey. I, ho I hope the encouragement I've shared is, is a blessing to you, brother. Mm -hmm. Keep going. 
Our next question is from a listener named Carissa. Hello, Carissa. Carissa says, I'm a senior in high school working on a thesis paper and presentation about IVF. After much research, I've become firmly convinced that IVF can result in abortions, discarding of unused embryos, and a plethora of other things that are sinful in God's eyes. I'm struggling to articulate what the Bible would have to say about the marital act and having children. Are these things truly inextricable from one another by God's design? If so, why and what biblical evidence could be cited in support? Carissa, thank you so much for sharing that question. I commend you as a a high schooler, senior in high school, that you are really digging into these questions. And I want to affirm, 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 seek and you will find. There are compelling reasons for all the church's teaching. And if you want to do a deep dive, I'll point you to two resources that we offer here at the TOB Institute. Uh, My book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, has a whole chapter on questions of artificial reproduction, which will give you a real look at all of the issues. And I also did a series of YouTube videos where I unpack uh, the questions in my book. I just go right through that book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, in in this YouTube series. So I did that chapter as well. If you went to YouTube and just typed in Christopher West artificial reproduction, it should come up. Uh, We'll also find the links uh, to those specific videos and put them right in the show notes here for you. But here here are a couple scriptures I I want you to look at. Genesis chapter 1, where God creates us male and female in the image and likeness of God, and the first commandment he gives the human race is to be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That is a call. The call to be fruitful and multiply is a call to live in the image in which we are made. Right? What is the image in which we are made? We are made in the image of a Trinitarian God. Who is this Trinity? What does it mean that God is Trinity? At the heart of saying God is Trinity, we are saying God is Father Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? From all eternity, the Father is generating the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is an eternal exchange of life-giving love and communion. That's who and what God is. Now, God is not sexual. The Trinity is not sexual. The generation of the Son by the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit is not a sexual generation. Nonetheless, our creation as sexual beings, male and female, he created them and he blessed them and he said, be fruitful. That call to generation that God chiseled right in our bodies is a call to image the eternal generation found in the Trinity. This is astounding when you think about it. How does that generation happen? It happens through holy communion. Artificial reproduction is a grasping at generation apart from that holy communion. And so it is a grasping at the power of God, which is the power to create, 
but not in keeping with the call to love and communion that God inscribed in our bodies. It is God who linked sex and babies, and this is a very good thing. And here's the other scripture I want to point you to. What God has joined, man must not separate. Jesus is talking in this context about marriage, and at the very heart of marriage is that call of the two to become one flesh, the call of the two to be fruitful and multiply. God is the one who has joined sex and babies together. And in the modern world, we think it's just normal to separate sex and babies. And we do it in, in two ways. Contraception is one way we do it. Here we're saying, I want the sex without the babies. But with artificial reproduction, what we're saying is just the flip side, I want the babies without the sex. In both cases, we are taking the powers of life into our own hands, and we are making ourselves like God. And this brings up a third scripture I'd invite you to really prayerfully enter into, and that's the temptation account of, that led to the original sin in Genesis chapter 3. The temptation, the primordial temptation is to raise ourselves up to the level of God, to play God, to become like God, the Catechism says, without God and not in accordance with God. When a husband and a wife give their bodies to each other in the marital embrace and surrender the powers of their fertility to the Lord and giver of life, the Holy Spirit, they are becoming like God with God. Mm-hmm. But when we render the sexual act sterile, or when we take those powers of fertility and and manipulate them apart from the marital embrace, for example, in a Petri dish, we are making ourselves like God without God. We are in these two situations, either contracepted sex or artificial reproduction, we are no longer humbling ourselves and accepting that we are the stewards with God of the powers of life, but rather we are taking the powers of life into our own hands and making ourselves like God without God and not in accordance with God. And in this way, we're just living straight out of the very paradigm of the original sin. So, Carissa, I hold those scriptures out to you. I invite you to ponder them with prayer and reflection. And I invite you also to take a look at the book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. We'll put a link to it in the show notes and those videos also where I unpack uh, that book in, in our YouTube, uh, mm-hmm. on our YouTube channel. Wendy, any, any thoughts you want to add here? I, I don't have much to add to that. I know that is a very full answer, a lot to think about. Um, I just, I sense in Carissa's question, although she didn't say this, that there can be a hope that somehow the, the desire of a couple to have their own biological child, that, you know, clearly the whole situation could be bad if you are destroying embryos or if you're, you know, sex selecting or, but 
but what if what if it weren't all those other things is it still wrong like isn't that a good desire and aren't these couples suffering i know you didn't say all those things carissa but i think that we can understandably wonder that and like really want to know for sure is this really what the good god has asked us to submit to you know and i think that that can be a challenge for us because of just what you said about how constantly we've been separating these things through contraception it can be hard for people who are longing for a child to even think contraception has anything to do with it right you know they're not contracepting when they're longing for a yeah, child they're on the opposite end they want right. a child so to to recognize the connection between the whole mindset that as if the desire for a baby is somehow just its own thing that you pursue in whatever way possible because you know that's a good desire, that whole mindset of, of being open to these unnatural approaches is, is truly is linked to our contraceptive mentality. And I'm so glad you kind of pointed that out. It's hard to realize when we've just grown up with it. And let's, let's add this, that this is important to understand the church's teaching here. We can use medicine and technology to aid the marital embrace yes. in achieving its natural end. Yes. Right? That is a good use of medicine and technology. If a woman is unable to ovulate and she can take a pill that will allow her to ovulate, that is a good use of medicine and technology. But if we use medicine and technology to replace the marital embrace as the means by which the child is conceived, we have a good end, a desire for a child, but the end does not justify the means. That's, right. That's what we're getting at here. Yes. If, if anybody out there listening is like just baffled by this, please, please, please. As I said, there are really compelling reasons mm. for the church's teaching here. We haven't been able to get into all the details just because of the nature of our podcast. But please go to those further resources we have recommended to, to, to dive in more deeply. The church is not crazy here. The church is proclaiming a, a difficult truth, but a truth nonetheless, and it is the truth that will set us free. Be not afraid. And I want to apologize. I called you Carissa when it's Carissa. Bless you, Carissa. Our next question is from uh, an anonymous listener. I have a question about how it is that God can help heal sexuality. I was violated sexually as Mercy. a young child. Mercy. I'm grateful to be supported by a Catholic therapist, a priest, and friends and family Thank who have you, helped Lord. me begin to heal from what happened. However, I feel like I've been unconsciously avoiding or pushing my own sexuality away because deep down I'm afraid of it. I want to ask Jesus for help, but realize that I even feel afraid of what will happen if mm. I do. Mm. I'm mm. afraid that my sexuality will somehow spin out of control mm. or that bad mm. things will happen if I even experience my own sexuality. Mm. I believe that God is calling me to marriage with a man I have known for a long time, but it's painful to think about entering into marriage when this part of me is still unhealed. I'm 25. Do you have any advice for my situation? Bless you, beautiful person. I feel your heart and its desire for the truth here, and I can feel the depth of the struggle as well. And the depth of your struggle is entirely understandable because you have experienced a very, very deep wound 
something that struck me in in what you said reminds me of my own journey with Jesus. And you said, I'm afraid, something like this. Can you re- refine that section of the question, Wendy, uh, where she said, I'm afraid to entrust it to Jesus because... Mm-hmm. I'm, I feel afraid of what will happen if I do. I'm afraid that my sexuality will somehow spin. If I do, if I open up to Jesus, is that what what yes. it was? Mm-hmm. I want to ask Jesus for help, but I even feel afraid of what will happen if I do. Yeah. I'm afraid that my sexuality will somehow spin out of control or that bad things will happen if I experience my own sexuality. Yes, that, that fear of opening a place of your heart to Jesus is what I wanted to touch on that I relate to. Mm. Because I have so many places in my own heart that I have been afraid to open to Jesus. And through good counsel and spiritual direction, I have to come back to this again and again and again, that Jesus loves perfectly Mm. and that perfect love casts out all fear when i run into that fear in my heart of opening a place to jesus what i'm doing is projecting onto jesus experiences i've had in this life that have made me fearful Mm. Uh, i just had a, a a dream a couple weeks ago um, in which my sister, who died a couple years ago from cancer, showed up, and it was so visceral. The dream was so visceral. She appeared in my dream, and I really felt like I was with her. And then my mind is funny in my dreams. I can kind of go in and out of consciously thinking in my dreams. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, in my dream, I'm thinking, wait a minute, my sister's dead. This can't be real. (laughs) And, and then I said, who's messing with me? Somebody's messing with me. Don't mess with me. This is too vulnerable. Encountering my sister in such a, a, an intimate way when she's died is, is too vulnerable. Don't mess with me. Um, and, and I woke up kind of in a, in a place of anxiety. And I, I shared that experience with my spiritual director. And he said, Christopher, this I really believe this was a visitation from heaven. And you were projecting onto it your own experience of being wounded in this life from times in your life where your heart's been exposed, you've been vulnerable, and somebody squashed it or crushed it or wounded you. You're projecting that onto to a gift from heaven. And it really struck me like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's, yeah, that... I really believe it was a heavenly visitation, and and I I didn't know how to be vulnerable to it because I've been so wounded in this life. Because mm. man, that's going to make me vulnerable if I open up to that kind of experience. And and I'm hearing something similar here. And I want to invite you. And as I say it to you, I need to hear it too. I want to invite you to trust that Jesus knows your heart inside and out. He knows these wounds. He knows these fears. He knows the the difficulty you have in opening up to him. And maybe you could just say, Jesus, 
I want to trust you. And if that's not quite honest, maybe you need to say, Jesus, I want to want to trust you here. And if you even need to go another layer, Jesus, I want to want to want to trust you here. Mm. Wherever you need to go, however many wants you need to add to that prayer to be honest, go right there. I want to want to want to trust you, Jesus, with this wound in my life, with this pain in my life, with this very, very difficult memory in my life. But you have to woo my heart. You have to woo my heart to a place of deeper trust. Uh, Maybe a prayer that would be helpful, another version of kind of the same thing. Uh, I do believe that you love me. Help my unbelief. That's Mm. straight out of Scripture. It's a prayer I pray all the time. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament. I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. I do trust you. Help my lack of trust. Those honest prayers I know reach the heart of Jesus. And when the heart of Jesus is reached, he's pouring out his love. He's pouring out his love. And and there may be layers and layers that, that have to be healed here for a real opening of this wound to Jesus's heart, but it's it's the real path of healing, and it's the only path of healing I know. Mm. Wendy, what are your thoughts? I do think also that um, actually looking at some of um, the writings of JP2 on the original plan can be a healing, because I think we can... Um, have only the fallen vision of the gift of sexuality, which doesn't always seem like a gift anymore. It feels like a liability or a danger or something. Um, Is there anything that in particular you would recommend for someone who maybe is new thinking of theology of the body for beginners? Yes. Yeah. I would, I would start with theology of the body for beginners that the entirety of John Paul's teaching is based on the words of Christ about our wounded hearts and our need for healing. Uh, Moses allowed you to divorce because of the hardness of your hearts, but in the beginning it was not so. Uh, Those words are pregnant Mm -hmm. with his mission of redemption. And his mission of redemption is to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And all of us, all of us, whether we were sexually abused or or not. Uh, I mean, in a sense, if you were raised in this pornographic culture, that is a form of sexual abuse. Uh, we all have wounds in our sexuality, each and every one of us, whether they are as severe uh, as others, you know, everyone has his or her own story. But no one can claim, I don't have any wounds here, or I've been perfectly healed, And so these words are applicable, these words of Jesus are applicable to all of us. For your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your eyes, but from the beginning it was not so. We have hardened hearts. Our hearts have become jaded. Our hearts have become cynical. Our hearts have become closed and and calloused uh, because of these wounds. And we we end up protecting, trying to protect ourselves from future wounding. Uh, This dawned on me recently as I was looking at some of my own wounds that Oh my gosh, we live in such a broken world. It is really, really dangerous to be human. But it's even more dangerous not to be. Uh, 
and what do I mean by that? This fallen world teaches us it's painful and it's dangerous to, to be vulnerable, and that's what it means to be human. We're vulnerable. But to harden our hearts is even more dangerous. Uh, Christ wants to soften our hearts to his love, to his love. And his love is a healing oil on those wounds. So yeah, Theology of the Body for Beginners would be a great place to start. It'll... Another one I thought of too, JP2's Letter to Women. Oh yeah. And why I'm thinking of that is not that the letter specifically talks about this topic, but I think the heart of John Paul II toward the gift of femininity, which is our sexuality. It's not a separate thing to say feminine. We mean as distinct from masculine. That's the sexual difference. Is He's so insightful and affirming. And I think it just gives a beautiful context for understanding who you are as a woman. Amen. So I encourage Amen. you to read that as well. Bless you, dear listener. I hope that all of our listeners today have been blessed. And if you know someone who needs to be blessed by what you heard today, uh, please share this podcast with others and help us get this good news out there. Keep the questions coming. That's what keeps this podcast going. We're so grateful to you for, for tuning in. Until next time, may you know it, know it in your bones that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.